You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. There's been much buzz about cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and distributed ledger technologies as of late, but this has become a photography topic about two months ago when news that Kodak and When Digital had partnered to launch Kodak One, an image rights management platform, and Kodak Coin, a photocentric cryptocurrency designed, and I'm quoting, to empower photographers and agencies to take greater control in image rights management. Obviously, the cryptocurrency aspect of this endeavor is what gets all of the headlines. But what's most interesting for our purposes is to talk about how blockchain technology can serve photographers, particularly in terms of licensing, protection, and maximizing the monetary value of their images. We're fortunate to have with us the CEO of Kodak One, Jan Denicki, and Kodak One CTO, Volker Brendel. Also with us are two experts in blockchain and image rights management. On Skype is Andrew Hinkis. He's an attorney, a former partner, and member of the dispute resolution team at Berger Singerman in Miami. Andrew is currently an adjunct professor in the Stern Business School and the Law School at New York University. Mr. Hinkis has written more than 20 articles on blockchain and associated technologies and is a frequently cited authority on virtual currency issues. Maria Kessler is here in the studio. Hi, Maria. Hi there. Maria is a veteran of stock photography houses such as FPG, Dynamic Graphics, and Jupiter Images. She also helped launch Image Rights International, an image recognition software service that finds unauthorized image uses and secures retroactive image licenses. And she's the former president of the Digital Media Licensing Association, DMLA, the image industry's trade organization. Okay, let's start with a quick overview. Uh, The name Kodak draws a lot of attention to photographers, obviously. But who or what is Kodak One and how much much Kodak DNA is actually in your new product? That's a very good question. So basically, Venn Digital created the Kodak One platform together with Kodak. Uh, Kodak uh, gave us obviously the the license for the Kodak One platform and is also a small shareholder of the Kodak of the Venn Digital company. And uh, what we are doing, we actually uh, create a uh, rights management platform solution for photographers, archives and agencies which uh, will hopefully enable all photographers to document lifetime circulars of their images, um, create a payment system beneath it, also tries to track down and crawl unlicensed images in the net, and also create a marketplace uh, for image-related products such as cameras, lenses, ETC. So that's basically everything to put in a nutshell. So I'm happy to go deeper into all these single products. Can you, well, just to stay on this topic a bit, uh, can you tell us a bit about when digital and the history there um, and how this venture came mm-hmm. to be? Yeah. So it's W-E-N-N. When, yeah, we spelled okay. it out, when digital. Yeah, when digital basically uh, was created out of uh, main shareholders, out of, uh, um, out of the Right GmbH, Right GmbH uh, is a company based in Berlin, which was particularly focused on 
um, on a post-licensing service uh, um, for unlicensed images found in the net, in the internet. I'm a copyright lawyer, so I always was fascinated by the idea um, how you can solve that biggest problem <laughs> in the digital world, um, how photographers anyway, are going to be rewarded by, uh, by their work mm -hmm. and uh, get at least something back uh, out of the big loss they actually had when they when the internet appeared suddenly. So, um, uh, but the um, legal approach from my side as a lawyer was always a very uh, yeah, uh, controversial approach because I realized that a lot of, uh, a lot of so-called infringers are basically um, potential clients, potential customers yeah. to the photographers because what they did is they used a picture and what they expressed in the first way is that they actually liked the picture they used so it's a big compliment to the photographer in the first place and I think I realized also that um, that uh, the, uh, the, the, the problem or why people were infringing was uh, not only, I mean, they knew that they're doing something wrong, but uh, on the other hand, I had the feeling that they actually don't know where they get the license from. So mm -hmm. basically, if you look up an image in the internet, you you Google, you find something, and then you like it, and then you want to use exact that image on your, uh, on your uh, uh, you, want, you want to use exactly that image. So it's very difficult then to figure out for a person who doesn't know the market, where do I get a license from that one? So we basically flipped it the other way around and uh, tried to act at right as a company where we offer real licensing, so post-licensing for the former usage, but also offer them a kind of um, upsell moment for the future license. Did you seek out Kodak or did Kodak approach you because they had a certain similar plan in mind? No, basically we seeked out Kodak because we then came up with the idea to implement the blockchain technology, basically to create an immutable database where everybody knows who has what kind of license and where did a picture go to, to put it in very simple words. And, uh, and we figured out that the idea is such a great idea which where we where we would love to join up with a big partner and a big name and as we also don't see ourselves as an agency and we don't want to uh, we don't want to frighten away let's put it that way agencies as considered as a competitor we figured out that uh, a name like Kodak is a perfect brand for us because it's like a well-trusted name in the photography business. It's it, it's, 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 a has standard. An, it's, it's a, a standard. It's an icon. Can we assume that aside from a high-profile, easily recognizable brand, uh, does Kodak have any th other input or, or, or interest in this new venture? Or are they merely like it's it's that yellow, that, that red, and the name that you're – that's carrying it as a vehicle. It makes sense. I mean, FOMA pan coins, I don't know if they'd be as popular. I mean, I must say that Kodak obviously has an interest in what we are doing. Um, uh, they are um, very interested in the technology we, 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 we pitched to them and we, uh, we, we grew together, let's put it that way, over the last month when we were working. We came up with new ideas. Uh, we... Um, we basically together um, support each other as really good good partners in that topic. And Kodak has huge resources and networks where we all, where, where actually we, um, uh, where we can uh, get the best out of it. 
Um, so they do have assets that are important to you. It's not just you're yeah, saying, yeah, yes, we sure. want to yeah, do no, it, no, we no, need no, your no. approval. No. Okay. All right. That's what I was curious about. No, no, no. It's it's like for us more than – it's it's more than a – it is a brand licensing deal to make that clear. Um, um, but it's, uh, it's a very, very good and, uh, very good intense partnership on the other side. So can we jump over to Drew and Drew, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us here. Can you, uh, kind of serve as, uh, the, the person to explain to us a bit about, uh, the blockchain technology, uh, and distributed ledger, ledgers, cryptocurrencies, and, and even, all the fun stuff. Yeah. Sure. Let, let's start with the broadest term, which is cryptocurrencies. These are digital assets that use encryption to regulate the generation of units of currency and to verify the transaction of those units of currency operating without a trusted third party or an, a, a central bank. Um, of the cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is the best known example, but as of today, I think there's somewhere around 7,000 different versions of Bitcoin, um, some with notable differences out in the market. These systems um, harken back to efforts to make non-governmental electronic currencies starting in about the early 1970s. The first very successful cryptocurrency system was Bitcoin, which went online and started to function in early 2009. All of the other cryptocurrency systems you see today, all these ICO tokens, all these crypto platforms are all based on or derived from Bitcoin's initial design. Now, this design itself is, at its basis, a database with some very specific features. It's a database that's designed to track the behavior of participants on that database, and that specific structure is called a blockchain. The blockchain can be thought of as a ledger that includes the history of transactions of all the users on the systems, sorted chronologically, added in groups or tranches, or to use the original wording, blocks of transactions. Now, in the original Bitcoin blockchain, there was a highly complex process of adding new blocks of transactions that required computers to use a resource-intensive process to verify that the new transactions obeyed all prior transactions. So in a sense, it chains together new blocks of transactions by referring to prior blocks of transactions. Thus, it's a chain of blocks or what we now know as a blockchain. Now, the Bitcoin blockchain specifically includes a system that makes it difficult to add new transactions, and that system is called proof of work. It's very technical, but the basic idea is that it should be expensive from a time and a resource perspective to add new transactions so that it becomes more difficult to retroactively falsify them or change them in the future. This results in an arms race to find faster and stronger computers to do this work, and it creates some of the concerns about power consumption that you might have heard about in the media. But getting back to the point here, blockchains at their core allow there to be multiple writers to the database. Those writers don't have to be trusted, meaning they don't have to be preemptively credentialed, and it allows the system to store multiple copies of that history, that blockchain, in multiple places. And the proof of work is what's called a consensus mechanism or the ability for the system to verify new transactions. Um, now, others have tried to find other consensus mechanisms that aren't as resource intensive, but most of those other methods are pretty much experimental at this point. Um, finally, you've got this umbrella term called digital ledger technology. 
and that is kind of the broadest base term for the technologies derived from the original Bitcoin blockchain. Um, what I described with the proof of work means of adding new transactions is what's generally called a public blockchain, where anybody can participate if they download the software. There are also uh, another subgenre of digital ledger technology is the private or permissioned ledgers, which typically requires somebody to get permission from another person to access them and which typically do not use proof of work to add transactions. When you hear about an enterprise blockchain or a private blockchain, that's usually what you're hearing being marketed. Without the proof of work um, consensus mechanism, you lose the, the, and I'll use this with air quotes, the immutability of transactions, meaning the difficulty to go back and retroactively overwrite them. So a lot of folks like me believe that digital ledger technology in a private or permission blockchain is usually nothing more than a database with a bunch of features that slows it down. Um, so as you can tell, this is complicated and, and the term blockchain doesn't necessarily describe adequately what the system is going to do. Um, there is no industry-wide consensus as to what the term blockchain or the term smart contract that we'll probably talk about later means. Um, but suffice it to say, most of the time you hear somebody talking about a blockchain, it's either a public system um, that, contra that tracks the transactions of some item of value from participant to participant or a private database of some sort. Is it safe to say that all of this technology we're talking about right now is in extreme infancy and um, most people, I would say, aren't even really prepared to go full force into this. I mean, even just photographers, in order to become a really active participant and to get all the benefits, everything you put into this, every image has to be thoroughly documented with metadata and licensing agreements and, and usage restrictions and things of this sort because if all of these elements are not in place, there are too many holes to really complete a transaction. Is that safe to say? So in my view, we are at the end of the beginning for blockchain technology and for these decentralized crypto asset systems. Um, we've had a value transfer system that has worked over 99% of the time since 2009, and that's Bitcoin. Um, so we know that there is a model out there of this technology that works. Um, there are obviously some challenges in taking what is a relatively simple system and creating the, the nuance and the depth and the extensibility to track all of the different information that you just mentioned. Um, but there are a couple reasonably well-developed tools, including document notarization, which allows you to take a piece of data, reduce it to a uh, complex string of numbers and letters called a hash value, and store that on a blockchain so that you have proof that a certain document that can be mapped back to that hash existed at a given time and date. Um, you've got that as a tool, and then you've got smart contracts, which I believe are about 40% baked at this point. Um, and you combine those technologies with some uh, to-be-developed storage technology, and you may reasonably soon be at a place where you have systems that can handle the extent of the data that you just uh, kind of recited. So you talked about the immutability of uh, blockchain being tied to uh, that it gets progressively harder and harder to to verify or to mine. But I've also heard people talk about that it's the redundancy of the ledger existing in multiple locations, that there's some immutability there, too. Is the progressive difficulty in computing power necessary to maintain immutability? 
So the progressive increasing difficulty in computing power is related to a desire to have blocks be added at regular intervals. A block of transactions being added is the equivalent of a transfer of value going through in the common parlance. So with the, the desire to keep the difficulty level by making it harder to add new blocks as more processing power comes online is an effort to keep the block interval at around 9.5 to 10 minutes per block. The immutability comes from a few different places, including the difficulty of attempting to force through invalid transactions, and the, uh, which then leads to the difficulty of trying to retroactively overwrite transactions. Part of that system is the fact that you would have to convince all of the miners and node operators, which are fundamentally people who keep a copy of the ledger, that your version of the truth is more true than somebody else's version of the truth. Essentially, you could have a rogue actor that summons enough processing power that they're able to introduce transactions that are not true, except that they have enough power to force them upon everybody else. Um, I don't want to get too technical, but suffice it to say, the distributed character of the ledger helps in the immutability, but the protection against what they call double spending or falsifying records comes from the proof of work consensus mechanism. So, so the difficulty is important. Absolutely. Gotcha. Um, I want to jump over to Maria. What of the current system of, of image rights management can be addressed by this system? Let me just start by going back and let's do it from the perspective of a photographer. Less than 20 years ago, a photographer was dropping off submissions and we were looking at them on slides on a light table. We are in the era of acceleration. Today, anyone with a smartphone can be a photographer. We have whole movies being shot on a smartphone. Also, photographers, we talked about all the work that needs to be done to have the information on the ledger. They're doing it already. Photographers used to drop off their submission, but now they're keywording, they're editing, they're, they're attaching their model releases, their sensitive subject releases. They have to meet uh, standards just to get accepted by different uh, companies. So they're, they're doing more work. And then in addition to that, there's this proliferation and this shift into digital is making it harder because there's more out there and the pricing models have decreased. Mm -hmm. So they're doing a ton more work for less money. So is there hope then with yes. the system that that <laughs> photographer will be paid more <laughs> somehow? It's my hope that there will be. There there are a few things that are out there. The whole post licensing issue. What has happened is with the in this age of acceleration, uh, technology has moved beyond the photographer and and beyond our own copyright laws and that's why we have these post licensing solutions. Um, because there's been a proliferation. People didn't know that they had to license the image. It was on the internet, so it was free. So, you know, you downloaded an image. It didn't have any information. How are you to know that mm. you were supposed to get a license? Which gets back to, Volker, um, to Jan's point, of a course. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's how this all proliferated. Mm. And now we're at a time where we need this. So what blockchain promises or what it, you know, can offer 
is this immutable record. It's this provenance. It's this born on date, this DNA that should travel with the image itself. And with that, it unlocks a lot of these wonderful capabilities. If if the born on date or the DNA travels with the image, then you have no question as to who is the owner. Then it can be uh, multiplied several different times and you still have no question as to who the owner is. You can put an image out there and you can crawl for it and you can match it, but then you have to find out whether or not a license exists. And that can take a couple of days because you have to go to five different agencies because maybe they licensed their image or they had their image represented through different agencies. Uh, and that takes a lot of time. And so it's, it's a false positive at times. I mean, so there are solutions in place that have tried to catch up to this, but the technology adds so much more. You also have the promise of being paid uh, more frequently or... Um, at least in a timely uh, manner. So, sorry, more timely. You, you mentioned one thing about uh, licensing agreements and all that stuff. Right, you've been involved in stock photography for quite some time. You're familiar with photographers right. and their working ways. What percentage of the images that the average stockhouse gets, good stockhouses, have all of this information already there? I mean, how much of this goes out without this licensing? It, they they have the in, the information. They require it. It is required. Absolutely. Okay, so you can't do anything without that in stock. That's exactly right. Okay, this, but this would also have to be standardized, and obviously should be included to go back and forth. Sure. Okay. Volker. Hi, Volker. Welcome to the party. <laughs> from what uh, you know, we understand Kodak One is uh, intending to kind of offer uh, from soup to nuts, from the beginning to the end, the, the, the whole aspect of what a photographer would need to do or have done to protect and sell their images. Is this true? And yeah, can you that, get that's explained? right. Yeah. So the, the idea was that we built up a platform that is uh, that is an end-to-end -end solution uh, with a lot of different beneficial uh, steps in between. And the idea was that we try to build up a platform that is always a kind of enrichment system so that the value goes up for any kind of content that's touching the platform from step-by-step. Step. So... Um, can, can I just read off those steps, what they are? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. These are the components of Kodak One, the official ones. Image res registration, rights management, transparent accounting, community marketplace, distribution platform, post-license legal enforcement, image tracking, and instant payment. So that is soup to nuts, like John mentioned. So initially, when you upload your images, we start already in uh, content recognition of your images. We try to find out what could be the potential value of these images based on many different factors. One, one is, in example, the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So that you say, uh, you, you can type in for what which kind of purpose you like to offer these images in the platform. We, we can tell you um, what, what's about similar images in the past and we can predict some value. On top, we have this uh, knowledge about the infringement value of an image. We know if you offer this image, how often it will be copied uh, on infringements. And uh, we can say normally uh, we are able to give uh, this portion of money back uh, based on post-licensing uh, um, um, cases. 
and you get ready categorized images uh, after the upload. It sounds like the photographer that you're interested in in coming to Kodak One is what I'll just call your regular photographer. Yeah. Uh, a stock photographer or someone who has images that they might otherwise drop to Shutterstock or something along those lines? Yeah. Okay. And and, and that's important because if you see that it, it has nothing to do with the blockchain, but mm -hmm. if these uh, photos are touching the, the blockchain, mm -hmm. then they are immutable. They are in. Mm -hmm. So you should decide before if you really like to do it because that's more or less that's it's that's your profile and how much would the the regular photographer then be required to uh how much added work would a photographer need to do in order to enter their image into the, the um blockchain? so initially it is really an easy task for just uploading this image and maybe you are able to classify if you say that these images are already usco registered then you can give some uh XML file or JSON file in addition where the OSCO registration number for these images are is, is, is stored. Um, but you don't have to. So we will make the content recognition for you and you can edit this as well. And will Kodak One be then monitoring the, the ledger for the photographer to make sure that the images are being... So uh, that's, that's a good question because that's that's a question of public or private at the end. Mm -hmm. So we should control a little bit more the technology of the platform we should make the versioning of if we have some more features but we like to give a lot of these services uh, directly into the public chain i just wanted to comment on one thing you'd asked uh, volker a, a little bit earlier you know what's needed mm -hmm. really for adoption and going forward if we ask photographers to do more mm -hmm we're not going to get adoption. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, very important. They're already doing the work, so we need to make this simple. Yeah, I was asking what the incentive is to get people to come in and join up with you. I mean, what are you dangling in front of them? We Aside have, from the fact, yeah. promise of more efficiency and more money. Yeah, so at the end, the system should bring up a, a complete different stage of transparency in, in the in the whole world for the photographers. So it's, it's an ecosystem. So you have to bring something in and you get something out. But in addition, you will be rewarded after you decide that you will bring uh, photos into the blockchain into the Kodak One uh, platform, then you will get some upfront payment uh, as percentage of the real uh, value. And for any kind of action he will do to um, improve the quality of, of the Kodak One platform, he will be rewarded in cryptocurrency or in, 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 in Kodak Coin at the I, end. So I think... I, I, you know, I was sorry. just going to okay. say, for the photographer, that mm. transparency is critical. Mm. And if you promise additional royalties or payments, revenue, additional revenue, if there's, if the, that's the value, that's huge because there's there's little transparency currently. I I, th I think what is also uh, we are all we are just looking now right now at the um, at the rewarding, but we should also look at the um, at the photo as an asset. That's how we have a look at it. The photo is the worst, not what you're getting for. That's basically what you, this is the license if you're going to sell it. But first of all, you have to see your photo as a real asset. So what do you have to make to make this asset more worth? So first of all, you have to 
somehow uh, determine what it is you have to add as much information as you can get. So you have to understand what's in the photo, to which market it's uh, which market it's attracting, and and then there comes a other very important part which is left behind over the whole digital area and that's the um, that's basically the legal clearance so the image what is the image do I have the right of that image so we all know that an image contains different kind of uh, 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 of rights for example property rights personality rights brands and whatsoever they all can implement it in a photo so um, especially when I'm looking at the um, at the uh, semi-professional or amateur photography, which somehow, I mean, a good amateur can sh can shoot nearly professional photos, but what he doesn't know, he doesn't know how to deal with the rights. He doesn't know how to classify the photos to add content to them. So we also want to attract or we also want to get hands on these huge assets which are lying out there. So basically we want to empower the photographer to classify the photos not only on a content phase but also on a legal phase to get the model clearance, property clearance. And I think what Jan is pointing to is the value. There's real value yeah. actually yeah. being added. And I would say not only the photographer has to be involved with adding that value on the on the front mm. end, but it's we have to educate the buyer as well. And it's the agencies or the marketplaces that really have to say, look, you know, this is valuable and this gives you peace of mind. This gives you trust. Look, an ad campaign of any size is going to cost a lot of money. It's like buying a used car. Would you buy a used car without knowing where it's been? Absolutely not. You want to get your car facts. You want to get the information on this. And the buyer has peace of mind that they're not going to be sued, that they're not going to have some other person come and say, hey, I, that's me. You weren't allowed to use my picture. Is there some kind of infrastructure that needs to be in place um, throughout the internet that isn't currently for this to really work? Let's say um, someone buys a picture, but then they make a copy of it. And then they upload it to Instagram. Instagram doesn't have any image recognition software in place. How would you guys know that that's happening? Instagram is a good sample because what we are doing in the platform as well, that we are talking to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and some others, that they can use our blockchain directly. And that's one reason for the public blockchain part, to identify directly the fingerprint in the blockchain to check out if it is in or not. So they can easily in in many in milliseconds check out if the fingerprint of this information or a similarity to this uh, fingerprint because it's a feature vector so it's more the content description of the image uh, rather than the hash um, and um, they, they can check this on their site. So is that just if, in terms of metadata or is that in terms no, of... No, that, that's, yeah. that's the real content of the image. Gotcha. Yeah? Yep. And that's what we have currently in our back already. So we are doing this uh, day by day for millions of websites, but we're crawling in. So at the end, we will we will find this image anyhow. But um, if the uh, platforms have the choice and the possibility to check against the blockchain and, get, and uh, against the Kodak One platform, uh, there should be no reason why they don't do it because it's it's nothing about costs and, and right. so. Right. But it will take the compliance or at least the interest the interest in complying from these platforms 
to to reach out to you in this sense and say, okay, uh, yeah, is this photo legit? Okay. Mm-hmm. But Maria, kind of what you were getting at seems to me is reversing ten or fifteen years of our the way we look at images because in general the way we've been looking at them is that their their value is is not there there's not a financial value to them so we need to reverse this train of thought understand the value of the images and is there something about the blockchain that will bring this about yes i mean absolutely it's the authenticity and mm-hmm. the fact that you can verify it mm-hmm. um the client wants to know that they can control the image, mm-hmm. whether that's for a period of time or for their campaign or for, you know, uh, they they just they want to be able to control the image because they want to be able to, c- to control all aspects of their campaign. Giving them peace of mind to do that is critical. And that's what the blockchain authentication born on DNA is all about. Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about blockchain and all of the issues that go along with it. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. Okay, we are back. Uh, we're going to continue going through the components of Kodak One and how they all work. Who would like to start here? <laughs> Maybe you can, Volker, you can start walking us through the process a bit. And, and Maria and Drew, please chime in with any questions you have as to how this process might work and, and, and where the blockchain itself will improve the process, theoretically. Mm-hmm. After the upload to the Kodak One system, you can adjust the amount of images you like to make for rights management and the others just go to the stock uh, and so on. After you decided this, uh, we have the initial step that you decide under which kind of uh, license agreement you like to publish for licensing. And uh, these licenses are already in the in the back or you must create some special license terms and these terms are stored in our system. A question about the licensing terms specifically. Is the is there a standard split between the platform and the publisher? Uh, no, we we are only getting transaction fees, so we are not taking part on the on the licensing fee. So every time a image basically is gonna put to another is gonna smart contract that we're gonna take a small amount as a transaction fee. So we are not taking a share of any licenses there. And is the transaction only upon registration or is there an additional fee assessed against the publisher of the photo at other intervals? Yeah, obviously. I mean, that's what I think Falco actually just wanted to run through. Basically, if you, everybody talks about trans, about registration. For me, the registration is only the, uh, the, the step to, uh, to, to, for the proof of ownership, the next, the next step is for us the bigger ones because where the where the image is always where, where the image is going to. So every license contract relating to one image. So basically, you can use an image in thousand different times. You can split up the the licenses. You give a, a territorial license to a certain kind of territory for a certain kind of usage. So basically, all these uh, all these uh, licenses are going to be. Uh, going to be documented and uh, considers for us a transaction of the image, and on that image, we, on that transaction, we're going to take a small amount 
um, as a transaction fee. And theoretically, this is all entered on the blockchain. It's all on the ledger. Yeah. And this will make the system more efficient. I think to explain it very, very simple, it's a it's it's an overall royalty statement of all stakeholders in that in in in, in the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is how uh, you can explain it very simple and easily because. And would this information be available to the photographer or only through the agency? Or through no, Kodak obviously it will be available to the photographer, yeah. Because and a photographer who's, a, let's say, technical ability mm. may not match what is necessary or is this something that by the time it's up and running will be so idiot-proof that the photographer can I, I think figure it's it like, out? I think that's very related to the question of the trust and the transparency. Mm -hmm. So... Um, figure out nowadays it's impossible for a photographer to put a bookkeeper in and check all the royalty statements from yeah. all the different agencies over all the countries and different languages and different currencies so it's impossible even for highly professional people to figure out if the payments had been done if the payments came in the right time so basically it will be kind of uh, uh, bulletproof but obviously um, you you just you just look into it when you want when you when you when you figure out that something is going wrong so and it's basically gives you the trust you that check, you, that checking you're your quarterly checking your quarterly yeah, you wouldn't yeah. i mean obviously you don't run it through every time but right. uh, forgive me if i might have missed this but if you're with Kodak 1 and you submit photographs and they are sold through Kodak 1 the money that you're making, your income from it, is that in Kodak coin or is that in what? What? What's your currency right now? Yeah, that 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 that's right. So we have an own cryptocurrency called Kodak coin. Okay. And this Kodak coin is uh, more or less our currency for the for the uh, complete for the whole platform. For any transaction you make within the Kodak One system, you you sh you use normally. Coda coin and you need uh, some kind of exchange process to change from Bitcoin, Ethereum, Fiat, whatever into the Coda coin and uh, vice versa. So you, you can as well make the exchange back to Fiat then. So what is, the, what is the mechanism for, uh, I've, I've, okay, I've got, I've got $3,000 in Kodak coin and B&H just got the new 24 to 70 Sony, uh, Sony lens and I got to have it. How do I convert my Kodak One assets to something I can give to B&H and get my lens? You, you, so there are two ways. Either way, you go to our marketplace we implemented where you can actually buy products, image-related products like cameras. If that exact lens is not on the marketplace, you'll have any time the possibility to change the Kodak coins into fiat. And who does that? This is like uh, exchange services on integrated on our platform. Okay. Right now, photographers, when they do work with agencies, you know, there's there's a diversity of different royalty rates, and there's not a lot of transparency. Oh, well, I gave you fifty percent, sixty percent, seventy percent, sometimes eighty or ninety percent. What are you doing for me? And to hear a transaction fee is. In, an interesting development. It's for us. I mean, just to 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 um, to carve that out maybe a little bit because that's op uh, very often a misunderstanding. Our our first purpose is not distribution of images. We are just enable. I mean, we, we call ourselves not an agency. We're an enabler. We basically um, we basically give agencies, photographers, archives the possibility to create a royalty statements and put a payment system 
beneath it. We are giving them the vehicle to make all these transactions much more efficient and much more transparent and trustworthy. Back to Kodak Coin, is this going to be a tradable currency outside of the platform? It's going to be tradable, but I, I let me say a few sentences to the Kodak Coin. As we all know, uh, right now, it's... Uh, uh, um, uh, Everything related to cryptocurrencies is uh, international seen a very unexplored waters we are basically sailing in. We, uh, like the SEC here, is considering as it, every token as a security token, which has high impacts on, uh, on, on, on how, to, how do you see it as tax? Is it, is it a tax event changing the coin? And so on and so on. So basically, yes, it's tradable. Mm-hmm. Where it's going to be tradable, I can't tell you now. I can right. just give you... Cryptocurrency is not known for, I mean, it's known for its volatility at this time. If I sell a photo today and I get one Kodak coin that's worth, let's say, $1, what's that Kodak coin going to be worth tomorrow? Is it going to be worth a dollar? Is it going to be worth 50 cents? Is, is that a problem? I mean, is maybe tethering Kodak coin to the dollar? Is that is that in the cards? I think um, I'm, obviously, obviously the worth of the Kodak coin depends on the demand of the Kodak coin. And if it's tradable, obviously, right. if you have a bigger demand than the amount of the Kodak coin, if you have a cap on the amount of coins, then will raise definitely. I agree on that one. But let me say just one thing. Um, uh, it's always like um, it's, a, it's a question that is uh, somehow in the dark fight between the... Um, product guys and the investors <laughs> so and um, we are uh, kind of we, we we are totally from the product side we love our product we love the platform and our token should be only seen as a utility token the problem is that why not tether it to the dollar then why not just tether it to the US dollar uh, that's I think I mean to 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 fix it to a, to a, to a real currency brings also problems with it because right. the community somehow you have to see you, you're dealing with two kind of communities so you're dealing with the blockchain community cryptocurrency community and on the other side with the with the um, with the photographer community and I think you have mm-hmm. to align both can I get Drew in here really quick yeah. jump in sure suffice to say there are a lot of both federal and state level regulators that are looking closely at this area internationally the rules are different Uh, These gentlemen alluded to that in the United States, the concept of a utility token does not really exempt a sold token from being considered a security. And just for the record, I'm I'm grossly overgeneralizing for the sake of discussion. In Switzerland, they recognize something called the utility token as being distinct from a security. And in the state of Wyoming, they also recognize the utility (laughs) token as being distinct from being a security. But Wyoming? um, (laughs) Yes. It's beautiful there. It's a lovely place. (laughs) The Wyoming law is mostly, the Wyoming law is somewhat symbolic in a sense that securities are sold across state lines and use interstate wires. So their law is not going to ever trump um, a security offering with respect to the federal regulator's ability to uh, decide what the rules are there, but suffice it to say, the, the, the there's a, there are a number of laws that we can get into a little bit later in the segment, perhaps that govern how these instruments and how the sale of these instruments um, are, are addressed by the law. As to I think Jason's comment with respect to the token being pegged to a dollar, um, stable coins, which is the genre of pegged tokens in the industry, are exceptionally difficult to make work. Um, most of them have failed within 72 hours of being launched, and the only ones that have persisted beyond that are consistently dogged with rumors that they are undercapitalized, 
that they are fraudulent um, and there are some really significant problems with trying to make sure that they retain their peg. Um, so floating currency values are almost entirely impossible. They're almost inevitable in this area. Um, but it does create sort of a, a complexity in that if you're used to being paid in U.S. dollars and then you're paid in this, you know, much more volatile asset, what are your what are your options? Well, you can try to exchange them for U.S. dollars, and then you're taking on volatility risk. You can stay within the marketplace, where presumably there will be other vendors that are willing to accept the tokens in lieu of U.S. dollars for goods and services. Um, but I would expect, and, and the gentleman in studio can probably answer this question for me. I would expect that those prices would also float along with the value. So my, my question for the gentleman from Quebec One is, um, are there vendors that are already signed up to be in the marketplace, or is this something that is just being planned down the line? Um, and what would stop somebody from going on an exchange, purchasing tokens, and buying items from the marketplace uh, as an arbitrage against the regular markets? Um, first of all, no, there are no vendors because we don't have the marketplace up and running now. <laughs> um, but obviously, we are already uh, our biz dev departments are basically already talking to kind of a fuse, and we have uh, a lot of interest and requests of photo related big companies jump coming on the marketplace. But our approach uh, is a professional approach into direction of the photographers. But obviously, we don't want to lock ourselves out from the whole, uh, from the other world. So there will be kind of mechanism where we say, yes, if you have a Coda coin, you can you can basically purchase uh, uh, things on, on or uh, services or products on the marketplace. But um, how they will be set up exactly, I can't tell now. You guys had initially planned an ICO, uh, and that's on. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but that that's on hold for now. And is that partly due to the fact that it's it's a much more complicated issue, or you're waiting for regulations to get set up, or is there something that uh, you can explain about that aspect of what was going on? Again, this gets back to the fact that there such a big splash came yeah. when the news came out. And we're just trying to gather as much information as possible. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to explain that because uh, I'm, I'm often asked that question. And uh, uh, Drew, uh, actually, uh, I think he's so deep in the legal stuff as well. He can he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he he he, he sees it the same way I see it. Uh, so first of all, I think we we decided from the very first beginning that we're going to do a regulated ICO, and a regulated ICO in the U.S. is something complete different. First of all, you have to uh, run through a lot of legal topics um, because, uh, I mean, that was the decision when when we made that was four months ago. And four months ago is like 10 years in that time, especially when it comes to the regulation authorities. They changed their minds like uh, so quick. The question when we basically said like we're going to launch it, that was for us the moment where we basically started to set up the process Uh, for the investors, because we are right now for that ICO only, we, we filed a Reg D. That means we are only taking accredited investors or qualified purchasers in, and they have to be uh, uh, identified uh, through different kind of measures. You have to deal with broker dealers in the system. You have to, uh, anyway, it's a it's a huge thing. You have to be compliant, and you always have to have a very close look on how the um, SEC or COPFIN are going to see Uh, and are going to identify the um, the token you're basically issuing. And we consider our token as a utility token, but treated 
like a security token. And that's the way how we want to discuss it so that we're going to keep up all options, later options which might come because now the, as Drew said, now the, opt, uh, the, the perspective of the SEC on the tokens is every token is a security token. There is no utility token, but we don't know what might yes. come in are, the future. Are you finding yourself talking a lot more about cryptocurrency than you would like and and prefer to be talking about a system that will enable yeah, photographers yeah, to get to... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I must say, I mean, as Volker already said, like we have, I mean, the blockchain and cryptocurrency is a buzzword. We, right. we already said it, but um, what I don't like so much about it is that all these other beautiful technologies or features we we basically developing are gonna nobody's really talking about right. them but they are really uh, they, well, let's, let's well, talk well, about well, well, why marry well, why marry the two then why not just have a system that basically polices uh, digital rights and then have people you know because we have the instant payment system and that's directly related to cryptocurrency so right. basically we need the cryptocurrency yeah. in our, our the cryptocurrency is an imminent imminent, uh, uh, the Kodak coin is an imminent part of the whole system, which makes it... That couldn't work with USD? It yeah, has so, to... So no, let me can't. just explain why the instant payment system is very important. So right now, if I license my images through a marketplace or through an agency, I have to wait maybe 45 days, maybe two months, maybe six months mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for my image royalty to come to me. And that's because not only do I need the client to pay the agency, but I need the agency's uh, relationship with other distributors in other countries to have their clients pay. Mm -hmm. And in other countries, you have 90 days, maybe 180 days on your terms. So, you know, I might get paid for a license, you know, that took place in January, but I might get paid in September. Mm -hmm. And so the instant payment is critical to providing value here. And that's what blockchain actually, you know, promises. That's when we have these smart smart contracts, mm -hmm. you know, In working place. correctly, so. or, or at least so, the transaction aspect of I it. I think also the, 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 yeah, go ahead, Drew. Yeah. So, so, so one of the things that people love about blockchain-driven value transfer systems is the purported instant transfer. And that's not always true. Um, as we discussed, Bitcoin transactions, assuming that there's no traffic on the system, should clear in about nine minutes. That means that you have one confirmation of the transfer. Most commercial businesses will not, uh, will not clear the value given in consideration for the Bitcoin transfer until there have been several confirmations, which can typically take 30 to 40 minutes. In instances where there's high traffic on the system, you may be waiting hours for your transaction to clear. Now, obviously, yeah. hours is better than the three days that you'll typically have to deal with for a wire More transfer. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. We are talking about months. Months. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking yeah. months. And again, also, yeah. when it comes to financiers... Go ahead, Joe. Sorry. And it sounds a lot better than the 45 to 90 days that were being suggested. However, this token apparently is being built on top of Ethereum, which has been known to get congested by things like tradable novelty digital tokens representing kittens which has caused several day-long delays in transactions. So it should not be suggested that blockchains are a silver bullet for instantaneous payment, at least until the technology called Raiden or the Lightning Network is actually created on these systems. Volker, you want to? Yeah, so um, you, you know that Raiden is not ready until uh, now. Right. But we mentioned from the beginning that we just use Ethereum uh, for 
the initial prototype uh, to, to, to learn a bit more about the token structure and example, to learn a bit more, to use some language to generate these smart contracts. Um, anyhow, we will have always a kind of abstraction layer on our platform to change this really fast. So we are working especially on this part. As well, we have all, from my point of view, important blockchains on board. So all of them like to work with us. We are talking with sovereign guys, with the Neem guys, with the Stellar guys, with the Hashgraph guys, with the guys of IOTA. So and all together like... Uh, like to join the platform and so we we are discussing more about the uh, the hyperledger and using best of breach to uh, combine some special components of these blockchains and they all agreed in supporting us in this so this is maybe more important to uh, to, to look a, a bit different on not only on the limitations on ethereum and more on the possibilities and the uh, features that special blockchains offer And that is maybe some what we are trying to do. So you're, maybe not, you're not tied to Ethereum? And absolutely the not. So that was not the idea. It was always the idea to to bring some some new based on uh, approved systems or really good systems for scalability and so on. Because we have different use cases where we are talking about huge amounts of transactions. An example, if you have photographers and they have maybe 500,000 images already, and they like to join our platform, we will have quite a huge, a huge amount of transactions. Uh, we have many events where we have uh, really huge amounts of photos coming directly from the event in a real time. So we have different use cases where we will not happy with uh, Ethereum, maybe with Raiden, could be, but we are quite uh, generic in this, in this process to adapt different blockchains in our system. I, I had the pleasure of looking at the white paper and the light paper, and it indicated that the tokens initially are being sold only to accredited investors in the U.S. and others abroad. Are you concerned that photographers who, to the vast majority, I'm assuming, do not have a million dollars worth of assets and <laughs> income of $200,000 over the last two years with the expectation of it for the coming year, are going to be unable to get these tokens? Or is it your suggestion that they wait until the tokens are traded on exchanges later on to acquire them. Um, when, when they use the Kodak One platform, they all become accredited investors. Okay. No, What? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they make so much money. So, um, no, uh, um, totally correct. I mentioned that in the beginning we filed a Reg D and that only goes to accredited investors. So our plans are obviously we have to fuel the community with tokens as well. So we are planning... Um, that depends a little bit on this on, on on the opinion of the SEC in the next future months. But if it sticks to the securities, then we will um, go the direction to a Reg A plus or file a Reg or, or a S one. When is that decision going to be made? As far as you're aware. <sighs> That's a very good question, but uh, I really can't tell you because that changes actually from from it depends on different various factors. It's a we 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 plan it for the for the end of summer, but uh, I can't I can't assure if that works. But it will be it will be done before the platform go live. We we plan this this uh, going live for the platform better end of the year and for the full functional platform. 
It will be mid of next year. So, so the white paper suggests that there will be 10 million images available on the system when it goes live at the end of next year. Is that? Do you have any sense of where those images are going to come from? Yeah, we already have them as clients. I mean, you have uh, the uh, right GmbH, as I mentioned before, has a service and is up and running. And uh, we are already searching for the post-licensing system already i guess something about roughly about 10 million already yeah yeah we have already 10 million so we have to we have to um increase this number it's this was initially estimated on our side uh before we had uh, so much success of the announcement <laughs> <laughs> double edged <laughs> so, sword maybe. but but this will not uh, so we we have already this scale out architecture in our in our back and as well the distributed ledger so this will not be the uh, limitation. So we are more than happy to have much more uh, um, when, when, we, when we like to start. Maybe, and currently we have 10 million nearby. Okay. Yeah. Maybe going away from Kodak One for a second to the, the, the blockchain and the distributed ledger and photographers and maybe Marie and Drew, you can chime in. Uh, is this what we will be seeing in the future without a doubt? And does it solve... Do you think, as you understand it now, does it solve the problems of photographers in the sense of protecting their images, being able to tra trace their images, and getting the payments that they deserve? It solves some of the problems. Mm -hmm. It solves absolutely. So um, it solves orphan works. And orphan works are those images that become detached from their metadata. That is solved. If they're uploaded and they're part of the blockchain, that's absolutely solved. It absolutely solves conflicts of uses between licenses. So if you do a smart contract and then someone else wants to license it the very next day or the next hour, there's not going to be a conflict because it says, no, you can't. So that's solved. Um, and then tracking where it is is also solved. They can see photographers should be able to see the types of uses that the images has have had and how many times it's been used. I mean, this is utopian, but hopefully it will come. Um, it provides a chain of authorship from the beginning, hopefully from the beginning of an image, right through to its license, to its uh, payment. It will provide for quicker payments as well. What it should provide as well to the end user is this trust. What it doesn't solve, and this is where the agencies come in, it doesn't solve searching for the right image. It doesn't solve for the client that perfect image that they want for their campaign. The marketing of the images, the searchability of the images is still going to be an issue. And that's mm -hmm. why you need someone to do right. the... Why well, you need an agency. Right. Need, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. And Drew, uh, anything you'd like to add regarding that aspect of it? Much of what's being discussed requires some new technology to be created or some novel use of existing technology. Um, a lot of platforms that seek to aggregate and collect a lot of information and, and, and what was just described as sort of what's referred to as a, a provenance system um, exists and is under development. But to my knowledge, few to none of these are actually in production yet. So these are ideas that are being discussed, um, but these are firmly in the to be seen as opposed to in execution right now category. 
Right. And, and Drew, I'll absolutely agree with you. We definitely need to coordinate between, just like in the music industry, they have to coordinate between their different registries. There has to be some agreement that the different registries are going to talk to each other. What I'd like to do is just ask the Kodak One guys to maybe address our audience, which is amateur, semi-professional, and professional photographers, uh, and how this will apply to them and when it will apply to them. And, uh, and maybe, Maria, you can chime in in general on, on when all photographers are going to be you know, needing to uh, be aware of this. Really, this is our first... Uh, this is our first um, customer target, let's put it that way, because um, we are, there's always, is it the buyer or is it the creator? Is it the chicken or the egg? So for us, it's always the creator. So the he's creating the asset and that's the photographer. So we are trying to build our platform for the photographer. And obviously, a part, as Maria already said, like which is a very important part, is the agency in the chain. So we definitely have to put or have to focus on the agency as well. What we don't like so much are like monopoles on agencies. So basically, we have we have a target on, or we we would love to enable and to give something back to the photographers and the mid-sized agencies. Let's put it that way, because I think what we can solve, or hopefully will solve. Um, is uh, we take away a big headache from them. And that's back to simplify that everything. I mean, we talked a lot about technology here, but it's like it's a simplified accounting system with a transparency where everybody sees what he's getting. And finally, he gets the money because, I mean, not on purpose um, in that waterfall licensing uh, royalty system, um, their money is just like, floating wherever and it's not it's not on purpose it's you can't blame anybody for it it's just because it's complicated different languages different currencies and these things we want to try to give back to the photographer and one last thing i just want to i just want to make an example because um my background before i was dealing with the image industry i was uh, very uh, lots dealing with the with the music industry and what I, what I saw in the music industry and what I thought to myself, which is not existing in the image industry, and that's actually kind of strange, if an A&R is going out there and he's hearing a good song, he's going to them as a, and says like, okay, you are good, you, that's a great song you're playing there. I'm going to finance you the song. I'm going to pay you up front here 20,000 bucks. Now you go to the studio and you play it and you have your headache free. So basically these upfront license payments, this is something what we actually when we create the value or enhance the, the, the archives or the pictures with, with more worth, we basically want to come to that moment where basically uh, agencies or whoever is going to come and say like, okay, I value that picture and I give you upfront already something in your pocket so that you can concentrate on your work again. And I think that's actually possible because the asset and the worth of the image has totally forgotten over the last years. Okay. Did you hear that, everybody? Kodak One is going to pay you a lot of money yeah, yeah. before you do anything. That's what I said. And become an accredited investor. Yeah. In, in loose change, too. They're paying you in loose change. Um, yes. And what will what will our audience, our photographer, myself, photographers need to learn or need to do to their images uh, to enter them into this uh, into this platform? Anything? 
they they shouldn't have to do anything. Theoretically, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I think they should learn uh, to trust the, plat the platform. <laughs> that, the platform. That, they, that they should learn a little bit. So it, it, it is an initial invest from both sides, I would say, to, to come into that. So to help us as well on technical side, give us feedback, so uh, maybe be part of the better program when we announce this. Um, open up the channels on our website. So uh, we are working on on a chat uh, in the in, in the website that um, it it will become more visibility in, and we get some more inquiries from the photographers um, that we bring this into the platform. That's very important. So membership, partnership, cooperation, collaboration starts not with the uh, official launch of the platform. It it starts now. So. And that official launch you kind of pegged for the mid next year. Yeah, that yeah. that is that is our strong hope that we finished all of these different major tasks, uh, having all vendors in, in place that are important, and um, having uh, a stable system for the unlimited users. Yeah. And and I would just add that for the long term viability, I mean, absolutely, the creators are important here. And, you know, having provenance, you know, authenticity and that chain of ownership is absolutely important. But for the long-term viability, we have to see that the publishers and the agencies and the Facebooks and the Googles and the Instagrams understand the value that this brings, that authority, that trust, that this is a copyrighted or, sorry, registered, it doesn't necessarily need to be copyrighted. This is a registered image owned by, you know, so-and-so, and that, you know, we can track that, you know, ownership, um, and that it has the model releases or it has the sensitive subject release attached to it. It has all the metadata attached to it, and you have that, you know, in, in the metadata. Okay. Uh, Drew, anything you want to add? I, I wanted to ask one other question of the Kodak One gentleman, and it's about the platform, how it indicates that they would post-license legal enforcement and seems to suggest that there are legal partners who would be involved to bring suit um, for a unlicensed use of an image. Can you talk a little bit about what the platform is planning to do there? Yeah, of course. Um I actually wanted to talk with you after the podcast about that <laughs> <laughs> topic anyway. So, um, no, obviously, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, the post-licensing post service is up and running already. So we are searching a lot of images. We have a lot of clients. And um, we basically split it, the post-licensing service in three kind of uh, phases. The first phase is the real post-licensing phase where we reach out to the uh potential client and uh, and tell him in a very friendly way that we uh, our, that our information uh, according to our information he doesn't has a license but he can acquire a license over us and then if he buys a license he gets the license and he can use the image further on for a certain kind of time so basically um, this is the way how we kind of filter out the real infringer from the potential client because if somebody says like no I don't wanna you go to hell I don't <laughs> then for us it's a it's an infringer on purpose and then obviously we have an escalated mechanism in it and uh, the uh, it, it starts with a kind of debt collection 
uh, uh, so not uh, it, it doesn't go directly to the lawyers. And then on a third step where we really say, okay, now um, this goes so far, uh, which is fairly a very small percentage out of our experience. And we obviously working together with different kind of lawyers. Uh, we have a network uh, uh, in, 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 in chosen countries so far. And this service will be then in the next step implemented in the Kodak One platform. So basically, if you upload your picture, you can choose. It's not an obligement. You can choose if you want to use that service or not. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's... And the, the fees... And will vary accordingly. Yeah. 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 Do, do quick question: um, Are the con these smart contracts that would be engaged uh, uh, through Kodak One or other agencies? Are they all recognized uh, legally in in the United States and in other countries, or is that something that still needs to be determined? So, smart contracts are another term like blockchain that means a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. Mm -hmm. um, you'll read in the popular press that smart contracts are going to get rid of the need for lawyers of a certain type altogether, and that it's going to bring certainty and predictability and simplicity and take a lot of friction out of certain types of transactions. Um, after taking a closer look, most, most lawyers who have looked at this agree that it's not going to work that way because you are relying upon code to substitute for dispute resolution and execution of contracts. And it's very, very hard to make code versions of concepts that we have in the law, like reasonable behavior, business judgment, and equity. In fact, most people who have suggested that smart contracts replace conventional contracts now suggest that there be a memorandum of understanding that goes along with the smart contract that documents what the parties intended before committing their commercial relationship to a smart contract. So a contract so, before a contract. Right? And, and I would just say that in photography, we have something called PLUS, PLUS.org, which has um, a lot of the photographer associations and industry leaders have gotten together, and they absolutely have uh, developed standards in a glossary and uh, use cases that can be adopted mm -hmm. for this. Okay. So, Drew, so you think that a dispute resolution in the post-blockchain world will look pretty similar to the way it does now? Is that kind of what you're saying? Right. So there have also been a number of efforts to try to decentralize and put on the blockchain dispute resolution through arbitration systems. And the reality is that unless the arbitration is done just right, there will be two parties to a dispute. One will get a judgment in their favor or an arbitration award in their favor, and the other one will not. And the mm -hmm. one who does not like the outcome will then go to court and attack the arbitration provision. And unless it's done just right, that person will more than likely get a second bite at the apple through the regular justice system. <laughs> so for a variety of reasons, these platforms have to be created thoughtfully. Um, as far as what was described before in the United States, there's a uh, monopoly on the practice of law that's regulated by the bar associations that regulate lawyers by state. Um, and so there are some very tricky issues with respect to the unlicensed practice of law that always come into play when systems talk about automating certain legal functions. Um, and that's a jurisdiction by jurisdiction type of analysis. And it's not a, it's not an easy line to draw. Yikes. <laughs> but, but, but wait a second, but we have post-licensing organizations that do operate within the U.S. So it, it's just you know, adapting these 
to a smart contract or a blockchain solution. I mean, we we have a lot of the pieces along the blockchain, you know, uh, continuum for the life of a f- photograph to be um, licensed. So, you know, it's, it's just weaving these together. We have all the pieces. Boy, this has been a lot to digest. I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't smoke, but I could use a cigarette right now. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Volker. Thank you, Drew, via Skype. And thank you, Maria, for joining us today. It's been an enlightening chunk of well-spent time, to say the least. Um, Something each of our guests have in common is that each of them are subscribers to our podcast, right? Um, are you? It's free and it's easy. All you have to do is head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. And in no time at all, you can be a card-carrying B&H photography podcast listener. That said, on behalf of Jason Tables, John Harris, and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs>